This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. We're back from our holiday break with two themes that have us looking both backward and forward. The results of the elections in Argentina have us looking ahead to the inauguration of a new president there next week. And we feature an in-depth discussion on Operation Condor, the historic intelligence operation that resulted in tens of thousands of cases of human rights abuses, and the inspiration for a film about to debut on cable in the U.S. But first, Natalie Ottinger is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. The National Chamber of Deputies in Brazil has opened impeachment proceedings against President Dilma Rousseff. The charges relate to how Rousseff has juggled the national budget. Some members of Brazil's Congress say she boosted social service spending ahead of her re-election bid without congressional approval. Her critics say that fiscal strategy helped her win votes. The president reacted with anger on national television to the charges and the attempt to remove her from office. I am indignant that the lower house of Congress has launched this impeachment process. I've committed no illicit act. There is no suspicion hanging over me of any personal misuse of public funds. President Rousseff predicts her congressional allies will squash the impeachment move. Members of her party, the Workers' Party, gave speeches in support of the president in Congress, saying impeachment was the equivalent of a congressional coup d'etat. Despite her re-election last year, Rousseff's approval rating with voters is now less than 10 percent. This is the first impeachment proceeding launched against a Brazilian president in the past 20 years. The Cuban government moved this week to restrict the ability of doctors on the island to travel abroad. Cuban officials say they're experiencing a shortage of doctors, and that's hurting the quality of care for the island's acclaimed health care system. The cause of the shortage? Doctors defecting and refusing to return home. Under the Cuban system, the Cuban government charges hefty fees to foreign governments for the services of its health care workers. But those workers get a small state salary nothing comparable to the pay they could receive as a professional in a capitalist system. The Cuban government says it has 50,000 healthcare workers posted in almost 70 countries worldwide. Many Cuban doctors have used the Cuban visa reforms of two years ago that allowed international travel to head to the United States. Earlier this fall, the Cuban government announced an amnesty program for any doctors who wanted to return home, but not enough have taken them up on that offer. The Coca-Cola company's official slogan is Open Happiness, but their newest commercial in Mexico opened up a different emotion, anger. The commercial showed white urban Mexicans introducing Coke to rural indigenous people in the state of Oaxaca. When the commercial debuted online, it was greeted with criticism that it was an example of hipster colonialism, and Coca-Cola quickly pulled the ad from circulation. Indigenous groups also criticize the ad because they say it masks Coke's efforts to privatize water rights on indigenous lands in Mexico. And the groups say 15 million Mexicans have problems with access to fresh water because of the company's corporate strategies. For Latin Pulse, I'm Natalie Ottinger. Thanks, Natalie. And now an intriguing question. 
What happens when a former telenovela star turned Hollywood actress decides to become a producer? And the first topic she picks deals with the historic human rights abuses in her home country of Bolivia during the regional intelligence crackdown on dissidents called Operation Condor. Well, Carla Ortiz has the answers for us. The film produced by Ortiz is called Olvidados, The Forgotten, and it will make its cable debut on U.S. cable network HBO Latino later this month. The film opened in Bolivia last year and has played in theaters there almost continuously since. This is the first part of our in-depth discussion with Ortiz. She joined us via Skype from Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I believe that they are subjects, uh, human subjects, that uh, keep on repeating themselves. And uh, we always think that uh, these subjects are only um, exclusive to the country that leaves that moment of tension or sadness. And um, history, you know, tends to repeat itself in different regions. And we can really embrace each other as human beings when we can know this story of the other. Um, dictatorships, uh, totalitarianism, uh, abuse of power, um, uh, deprivement of uh, human rights have been happening for, you know, decades and decades. And uh, Operation Condor, which is the main subject of uh, the film, um, it was um, a, a very difficult uh, process that South America lived in the late 70s. And when I was in Egypt in uh, 19, I'm sorry, in 2010, um, and after the you know beginning of the Arab Spring, I, I realized that these things uh, were still happening everywhere, and that um, um, dictatorships and uh, abuse of of power was a subject that needed to be put on fiction. I remember my professor in film school told me once that if it hasn't been put on film, it has not happened. And I just feel the urge to, um, to put it on film and to tell this part of the story. Have you been surprised with the success of this film? It's still showing in the theaters in Bolivia. It's won prizes, um, international prizes, uh, and now it's come to, to the U.S. You know, to tell you the truth, um, there's probably a lot of people that know, don't know exactly what Operation Condor was, but many people probably, it rings a bell if we say uh, Pinochet, the time of the, the dictator in Chile for a, a very long time, and, or they disappeared in Argentina, or the stolen children um, in South America. Well, this is what Operation Condor was, that it was... Um, a, a program, a political campaign that was overseen by the CIA of the United States in order to control the growth of communism and to control basically these governments in South America. And uh, it uh, left, you know, um, many, many families and, and, uh, and lives broken because it would just imprison people, take them, and if they were not uh, guilty or they were guilty of whatever they're being charged on, of uh, they would just get killed or be disappeared. Um, so when I did this film, I, I knew it was going to be a very difficult film because it has torture. It is uh, uh, tough. It is uh, painful. It's sad. Uh, but at the same time, it has all this love story. And, and, and when I say love story, I'm not only talking about a 
a couple. I'm talking about friendship and your love story with your ideals and with uh, what you stand for. And um, yeah, you think that, oh, who's going to want to go and watch a film that uh, shows torture, <laughs> that shows how people's lives are broken. And um, then, especially in our countries, that the subject hasn't been so much touched because it's been sort of a taboo. And um, all of a sudden in Bolivia, we became the, you know, the biggest blockbuster in the last seven years. Um, Bolivia didn't have um, an official selection for the Oscars for over five, six years. Um, we ended up representing the country, start going to so many film festivals. And then you realize that it's not just about the film that you did, but it has so much more to do with the subject and what the world is ready to start seeing. And the world wants to, to see these things and the world wants the truth. And um, I think that um, it was very overwhelming. It was very, very difficult uh, for myself as a first-time producer. Uh, but mostly it was very um, interesting uh, to find out how machism still is like the first and number one flag in the entertainment business. So uh, even more when you are touching a subject of these matters that is socially and politically and historically so um a important and um just uh difficult so yeah it i was very surprised and i am still surprised i, I can't believe they removed the film in september from the theaters and then they uh, they celebrated the movie day and then they put it back and then now they have it in another film in another theater and it just uh, people keep on going and seeing and Older generations are showing to younger generations and younger generation students are doing so many forums uh, to discuss these and, and talk about human rights. And, you know, it's been uh, also called um, uh, of recognized as a, a film of national interest in my country. So it just keeps on growing. And I, to tell you the truth, I get scared every time, a little bit more scared. I go like, what have I done? And, and where does that fear come from? <laughs> You know, um, to tell you the truth is when you walk into the unknown, um, I, I was, uh, you know, the other day I was having this little talking in a university and I, this girl was telling me how hard it was for her. And I said, listen, um, they play soccer with me. That's what how it was. I mean, if I tell the truth of how was my journey as a producer, um, they play soccer with you and they want you in the ground, you know, and they are going to try to knock you down in every way, even from politicians. They want to pull you on one side and the other side, and they always want to to get you involved and see how when you're going to make the next mistake or when you're going to make the big mistake. And um, you're always afraid to make the mistake, you know, but you have to take all the risks and you keep on going like, oh, my God, is it going to be OK? Is anybody going to show up to the film every time that I will go to a film festival? It's like, oh, my gosh, who's going to want to come and watch this film and a Bolivian film? We don't have that much history. And then the room will be completely full. And I'm just like, oh, God, thank you. Thank you. But yes, I'm I'm it's just uh, I guess a natural thing uh, of somebody who's a little bit obsessive with making things the very best she can. So we have talked on this program multiple times about Operation Condor, and I'm wondering, though, about how it touched Bolivia before your film came out. Was it something that people talked about openly, or was this somewhat of a buried secret from the past? 
You know, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina have a very different process, and uh, people don't like to uh, recognize this. Um, Argentina has uh, basically took to, taken to court every single general, all of them being uh, charged and being uh, processed. Uh, Bolivia, 90% of the militars that were involved with the actual assassinations have not been persecuted or taken to trial, same as in Chile. In Chile, they still are super respected, a lot of them, and have many followers. So Bolivia specifically, it's been, um, you know, we are a country that 50% is indigenous and the other 50% come from immigrations of the past 100 years, immigrants of the past 100 years. So we have a, a very sort of conservative um, kind of thought uh, rather than uh, progressive uh, in the sense that more towards the right, more towards uh, the um, very kind of uh, capitalism to create progress. Uh, but it, we have these, these two worlds that kind of never completely go together because none of them recognize uh, the history of the other. And we keep on thinking that we are separate, that we are so different um, because we live in, two, in these two uh, different kind of realities. So people won't talk about it, and they probably knew there were abuses, and that, uh, yes, but, oh, but communism was coming, and they were exploding bombs, and they were killing people, they were getting in the schools. Uh, you say, yes, but um, they wanted to be heard, and then they go, yeah, 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 but they needed to be stopped. Okay, true, nobody should be exploding their, uh, you know, bombs anywhere. And that was the end of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yes. It was something that needed to be done. It was something that needed to be done. But then, you know, you ask more questions and nobody really knows any answers because everybody, they don't know what the government is doing. They just put their head inside uh, the earth, you know, like, I'll just keep my head inside. I don't want to know. I don't want to think. I don't want to ask. And that was the real situation in Bolivia. So it's something, yeah, 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 the, the dictatorship, yeah, but you know, it was really bad. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. And that's it. But what else? But what were we doing? Who were they persecuting? Who were the people that being tortured? Who were the people? No, no, no. They were insurrects. They were communists. But I mean, really, like 500,000 people incarcerated all over Operation Condor were all these people communists? I mean, is socialism same as communism? I mean, how do we have really, and you start asking all these questions and nobody can answer you because it's better not to talk about it. And then um, when I did the film, I remember even in my school, my girlfriends were going, Carla, but what's going on? I mean, does that mean that you are becoming uh, more of a very leftist and and all these questions, you know, like, it's so scary. What you're, Why are you doing this? And I started getting threatened, you know, from... Um, different sides of uh, every party to tell it to right and left, you know, here and there. Um, and then when people saw it, it's like you need to acknowledge that there is a big scar and you need to know what caused that scar. And we need to talk about it. And that's exactly what happened. One day, a lady in the airport came and started insulting me, saying, like, I can't believe what you've done. My children can leave me at peace now. They keep on asking. You are putting ideas in their head. And I'm going, what are you afraid of? The truth, it's the truth, you know. And on the end, obviously, you know, the Minister of uh, Education 
ask uh, teachers to take um, chill the children so they can actually talk about this at lunchtime. This was something that you would never ask really your parents and it was something that you would talk, but they really didn't know. And that's exactly what happened in the premiere. People were asking, oh my God, we heard so much about this, but we really did not know. In the film, it would be very easy to take that view and to demonize those who were connected to Operation Condor. And I, I thought that the approach was much more nuanced. It was the main character is is the general who is so conflicted. And in the end, I think that this is a this is a film. Um, you mentioned it as a national scar. I, I as a as someone who's not Bolivian, I saw it as a film about dealing with guilt. Well, yes, I I I, I agree with you because it's all of it. Many of these people would never acknowledge because if you really think about it and you watch the film, this man never asked for forgiveness. And he even says, I don't deserve forgiveness, but I am sorry about what I've, what I've done to you, son. But he doesn't say, I am sorry for what I've done. And this is something um, that it's, uh, you know, for me as a producer and a, a co-writer of the script was something that we had it pending the whole time because I interview many generals and many of them, um, they had the guilt, but they still some not regretted or, or not. It's very difficult to, and this is why Jose is that character. This general is, he's always conflicted between thinking he's doing the right thing and knowing it's not completely right. Uh, you know, forgiving the life of a child in one scene and the following killing a woman that is confessing something that she can confess, going to the next one of uh, of, his, of taking something that doesn't belong to him or, or killing a comrade. I mean, it, and I think this is... Um, this is where the conflict is. You know, yes, um, we know very clear who were the more mean and who were the more bad. And I'm sorry I use this type of English because um, it is the way it is. But then at some point, you know, some people from the very extreme left ask me, so you're humanizing this military. And I said, well, excuse me, he is human. This is the point. And this is... The point is that how we as human beings can do these horrible things and still create so many amazing things and how we can be both all the time because none of us are completely bad or good. And I think um, there's where the scar and the guilt comes from, you know, and Americans helped us make this film so successful here in the United States. If it wouldn't be for all these people that care, I don't think we'd have ever been, uh, forget about being bought by HBO or or being just in so many film festivals. It's just being in so much media and, and talking about this. It's because this is something that concerns all of us, you know? Thank you so much. Producer and actress Carla Ortiz, the producer and star of the new film Olvidados, which will premiere on HBO later this month. Our guest today on Latin Pulse joining us via Skype from Los Angeles. Thanks for being on our program. Thank you, Professor. The film can also be purchased in DVD, so um, I will make sure that you receive a couple of copies in my gratitude for this space, and uh, I salute all your people. We'll have more from that discussion with Carla Ortiz later this winter. Coming up, the surprising results of Argentina's presidential race have us asking, 
what comes next. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. While we were on holiday hiatus, voters in Argentina went to the polls and ousted the Peronists from power, a major shift from the previous 12 years of government. Mauricio Macri, the conservative mayor of Buenos Aires, came in with the upset victory, and he'll be inaugurated as Argentina's president next week. Chris Sabatini of Columbia University joined us to analyze the political shifts in Argentina. Sabatini is also the editor of the new website, Latin America Goes Global. He joined us via Skype from New York City. Yeah, this wasn't expected. Um, you know, the uh, Kirchner's first, Nestor Kirchner, and then Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, had governed Argentina for 12 years, coming into power right after the, the Argentina's Great Depression, 2001, that ended uh, a previous president's uh, term early because of popular protests. Um, and, you know, for a long time, the Kirchners were very popular, um, popular for a variety of reasons, one being they did restore Argentina to economic growth. They uh, basically stiffed a bunch of Argentina's creditors, which is popular with Argentines who felt they had been under the thumb of the IMF for a very long time. Um, they you know, really kept, uh, they brought em- employment back, uh, they reduced unemployment, um, and so they were very, very popular. And uh, after uh, Nestor Kirchner passed away, his, uh, the, well, Christina had already been elected, he passed away, and they were, the original plan was to have them switch back and forth, So, because you cannot have consecutive terms uh, according to the Argentine constitution, but you can have unconsecutive terms. So he, uh, they were planning to govern for quite a while, and I think this came as quite a surprise. She couldn't run again. Uh, her appointed candidate, uh, Daniel Scioli, um, just lost. And, um, you know, it's, it's, the economy is, is beginning to tank. I would say it's, it's on the point of a potential crisis, actually probably a crisis, uh, not even potential. But her, she, as a person, remains very popular. She just couldn't pass on that charisma to Daniel Scioli. And uh, Mauricio Macri, a conservative candidate, he's actually the first conservative president elected in Argentina in recent history, um, unexpectedly won. So it's going to be a very big change because it's not, and it's, you know, he's not from one of the traditional parties that has governed Argentina basically since the turn of the century almost, or since the 1930s, which is the Peronists and the Radicals have basically swapped power um, during democratic times. Now you've got this. Um, this man who comes from a very rich family, uh, he's been he's been mayor of Buenos Aires, um, and he comes from a conservative party, which is going to be very uh, interesting to watch. He really started this party, the Republican proposal, and it's only been around for a fairly short time, and then created this alliance, the We Change Alliance, um, that that brought together a lot of centrist parties. But as you say. This is this is really the first time we have someone who's a who labels themselves as a Republican who's going to be running Argentina um, in in its modern history. Um, so help us with with the party situation there. It's really been the Peronists that have dominated since uh, since the 1940s. Really, um, there are many of our listeners who I don't think understand the importance of the Peronists and what a what a cataclysmic change this is. 
Yeah, uh, Peronism is uh, basically, it's a very curious party in the sense that it has, it's very ideologically amorphous. Uh, it started out as a quasi-fascist party under Juan Perón, um, and then after he was exiled, um, in which the government tried to govern the country without Peronism, um, a number of communist groups, including uh, um, communist guerrilla groups, attached themselves to Peronism as well. Um, and basically, in, after, in 1976, the government decided, the military government said, it, it couldn't govern without the Peronists um, participating in politics. So they invited Juan Perón back. Um, but it's maintained its sort of stature as being a very um, ideologically amorphous party, very vertical, very, very populist in its orientation, and just really a political machine that has consistently... Regardless, I mean, I'm sorry. Regardless of the uh, party in power, the person who heads the party, it employs the same methods. It, it, it basically it's got a union that's attached to it, um, and when it's been out of party, it out of power rather, it uses the unions to sort of take the streets and paralyze the government. Um, it is definitely a party that's not accustomed to being in power because basically its base, its patronage. All those things depend on its access to being its, its positions in government. So it's going to be very curious, interesting, and, and kind of scary uh, to see how it performs now um, that it's outside power, especially after 12 years in which you know 40% of the population in Argentina is employed by the state. And a large number of those people are going to have to be cut back. And I'll talk about the economic situation in a bit, but will probably have to be um, laid off. And a lot of those are parentists, and a lot of those are going to be very easily mobilized by the Peronist party to uh, you know, potentially wreak political havoc on the country. Let's go back to Mauricio Macri. President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner has been able to hold this together, the economic system with patches and, and, and other things to make it work to this point. Um, now, with a shift in those policies, um, is he going to be blamed then for the the inevitable crunch that's about to come before any of his uh, solutions can be put into play? It's a good question. I was talking to a um, fellow faculty member the other day who's a former uh, central bank governor and, and president in, in um, Argentina, and we both agreed, like, why would his Mauricio Macri even want this job? Um, because there are a couple things that are really stacked against him. For one thing, uh, as we noted, he doesn't have a huge mandate. It's about two percentage points, three percentage points. It's not huge. Second, um, despite the fact that the, the economy has been limping along for some time, there's not a sense of crisis in Argentina yet. So um, people don't feel, they don't have that sort of appetite or there isn't, isn't that cushion for drastic measures that would exist if the bottom had fallen out of the economy, say, as it did in 2001 or as it did in 1989. Um, and then third, he doesn't have much uh, in, in the Congress. He has only a few, his party only has a few seats in, in the Congress, in the Senate and the, in the lower house. So he's going to have to implement a whole series of reforms to address the conditions that I mentioned. He's going to have to devalue the currency. He's, he's going to have to basically cut um, uh, spending, which will mean laying off a lot of people. Um, and he's probably going to have to reduce inflation, which will also have some effects. All of those are going to have um, really basically have a chilling effect on the economy. It may boost gr growth, but it will mean people's um, cost of living will increase as well as because of the devaluation, as well as the likelihood that they will, um, uh, my, ma many will lose their jobs. So it's going to be, you know, we'll see how, how his political skills are. I will say that he has two things very much in his favor. One is, is his group of technocrats. The Economist article talks about that, but I've been saying this for a long time. He has surrounded himself with, I'll be, I'll be honest, 
some of my some of my friends actually people really well trained technocrats who know their stuff, which was very different from the previous administration, the current administration, the Kirchners, who were mostly political hacks. So is that is the second is. I think he's going to be welcomed by the United States and the international community and will receive, I think, some benefits, um, including um, perhaps the allowance to settle an outstanding debt that the Kirchners refused to accept, which will allow him to gain access to international capital markets again to basically boost uh, the, the country's reserves. So he'll have a few advantages, mostly sort of internationally, but politically, uh, the cards are very much stacked against him. Um, this is going to be a much more pro-U.S. government, and I think it's going to change the tenor of the debate um, within the region. Thanks so much for joining us. Chris Sabatini of Columbia University, the editor of the website Latin America Goes Global, joining us from New York via Skype today on Latin Pulse. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for joining us on Latin Pulse this week. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, Org and then slash Latin dash pulse. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin dash pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, associate producer Natalie Ottinger and technical director Jim Singer. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions. Music